Interest rates are up and the market is tumultuous. And now more than ever, you need the best darn possible mortgage broker working on your behalf. That's Gabe Winslow. And you can reach him at 832-557-1095. Or you can go to mortgagesbygabe.com. What makes Gabe so unique? Well, he's incredibly bright. He's a UT grad. He's got a law degree. He's been in the mortgage industry for over 20 years, and he is a true mortgage broker. What does that mean? It means he can shop for the best deal at over 80 different lenders and find you the terms that best suit you. Most mortgage guys you talk to won't reveal that they have exactly one size fits all for you and exactly one conduit to get your loan. If you are in these hyper-competitive markets and you're in these markets that are frankly gotten a, less, a lot less friendly to the consumer, you need the best possible person working on your behalf. That's Gabe Winslow. He has our full endorsement. You can reach him at 832-557-1095. Welcome back. I've got some football to talk about with y'all, and I've got a special guest. His name is Ian Boyd. Some call him the contraire Ian, but uh, only in a good way. Uh, Ian, welcome. We've got a little bit of football to talk about. That's right. To, uh, to, to the online community, largely just a friendly thing. To my family, it's extremely irritating. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we all have our moments, uh, but it's good to see the alternate view, and it's good to uh, play devil's advocate sometimes. So uh, maybe we can do that with each other a little bit. So what we're going to do, Ian, if we have the endurance, if we have the metal, if we have the wherewithal, we're going to record two podcasts, one on the offense, one on the defense. This one will be the offense uh, because, you know, like the unsophisticates we are, we always lead with the flashy stuff, the, the offense, not the defense. But uh, I'm excited to talk about both, actually. I saw a lot of interesting things. Um, let's talk Texas offense spring game. Ian, you you have the ball. You've got the clicker. What do you want to talk about first? Let's talk about the most boring subject first. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit about the offensive line. I'm curious what you saw from the offensive line in this spring game. Okay. I, 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 my eyes don't tend to zoom in on trench battles very often unless I tell them to. It's like, you know, hey, watch for this guy on this play, you know. But um, I had a few overall impressions, but I'd, I'd be more curious to hear yours. So a little bit of a caveat, neither Ian or I have been able to rewatch. Re yeah. Uh, and so often you'll offer opinions and then you rewatch it. And you go, well, that actually didn't happen. <laughs> So let's so, leave this with our just the, our worst possible opinions yeah, to open the show. We think it's important you guys listen to our worst opinions immediately rather than really good, deliberate opinions two days from now. So yep. uh, with that in mind, uh, I, I think you have to have the context of they're missing three guys from the interior offensive line who are on the two deep. One of them a starter. And so that's that's a factor. Obviously, they had to play Cam Williams at guard. Uh, I think that was the predominance of his snaps. Did you see him at tackle much in the second half? No. I didn't watch for that in the second. It didn't even occur to me to look for that, but I, I didn't see so that. So that, that was one of the things I, I wanted to note on my rewatch to see if he got I any. 
I would be surprised because I definitely saw him uh, go down for a minute and leave the game. Yep. I think right before Jaden Blue's big run. Um, and that was either right before the half or after, I think. See, that tells you that Cam Williams isn't a good run blocker. The minute he goes out of the game, <laughs> we break our longest run. That's science. Yeah, Got to get, get Max Merrill in there more often. <laughs> yeah. So uh, overall impressions is I thought the ones were fine in the sense that I didn't see any egregious errors. I didn't see blown or completely missed assignments, at least on first viewing. Typically, my eye picks that out. I can usually see that. Uh, I thought pass protection, particularly setting the pocket in the interior, was, was fine, particularly with Quinn Ewers. A lot of the offensive line's performance, at least on an individual basis, was completely dependent on who they were going against. You know, are you going against Byron Murphy? Are you going against Zach Swanson? No, no knock on him. Um, but you know, that there's a difference in, in level. Uh, the second team offensive line, you know, that was a baptism by fire for a bunch of true freshmen, mostly. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And they showed that, uh, you know, they, they held up at times at other times, they look like a bunch of true freshmen out there. And, um, you know, you particularly saw it with Arch Manning when he was in the game, he guy. didn't, he didn't get great protection. And when he did get protection, his receivers were blanketed downfield. So you, you do have the obligatory uh, internet <laughs> reaction, which is Arch is a bust. We've already got uh, bad the, fan the, takes on Twitter. The nation's oldest newspaper, the New York Post, that's how they always seem to like to be referred to. It's the nation's oldest newspaper. So then if they have something that's like maybe a little tabloidy, then it, it has some extra weight because yes. first you refer to it as the nation's oldest newspaper established by Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton. It was all about having a rag that would just do whatever he wanted. Well, anyway, that was, that was all newspapers back then. So it's funny. People think yeah, that yeah, yeah. people think that journalism has gotten slanted recently, right? It's a 20th century or 21st century invention. No, uh, the, back the to earliest pre cold war. Yeah, the, the earliest journalism was just a series of anonymous pamphlets attacking every single aspect of a politician's character and upbringing and family. So, uh, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, <laughs> the New York Post, tell everybody the headline. I, I believe it was it was a picture of Arch Manning and it was like Arch Manning outshone by team quarterback teammates or something like that. Yeah. So it's, it's all Texas football is just an excuse. It's just a vehicle to discuss Arch Manning for the national press. Yeah. So you guys get Pretty, used to that. <laughs> that's, it's, yeah. He's an, he's an early enrollee, true freshman, third string quarterback. And that's the guy that, that leads the I, article. I actually thought he was equal parts ridiculous. to like to be slamming this kid for that. And then yet also a little bit generous to say that he was outshone. <laughs> Because Arch didn't shine very bright. Like, I don't know if Arch did a single thing that was, like, impressive or good. Uh, I mean, I I just... Not, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying he's a bust. I don't think that at all. I think okay. this game did not play to his strengths at all. But... Um, I, I yeah. just thought... <laughs> I thought the context of the game was... It's basically difficult to evaluate him at all. I thought he kept his oh, composure. Useless. I yeah. thought uh, him not turning it over was a mm -hmm. victory uh, given the context. And it's just, 
I, I don't even evaluate. I, I don't even care. I just didn't. It's just overdone. I, I don't really care about that. Um, the offensive line will be interesting, though, Ian, because one thing that people will need to look for as a storyline, and, and it's a real storyline, not a false one, as, as we have with the Arch Manning stuff, like he was going to beat out Quinn Ewers, uh, is yeah. how much does Kyle Flood want to chase upside on this offensive line? And then how much does he want to cement it early, get reps, get continuity? And what I mean is, depending on Cole Hudson's recovery, and they like Cole Hudson, by the way, uh, do you try to mess around with some lineups and tinker with more Cam Williams at guard to see if that catches on? Do you play with Christian Jones? Christian Jones is starting, everybody. Uh, That's guaranteed. Uh, Do you play with him? Do you do some stuff with Connor Robertson when he gets back healthy? I, I don't know. I'm just curious to see the degree. And also it's a bunch of unknowns and that we have four and a half months of development that are about to happen that we're not going to see much of. It was, it was fascinating to me that um, like Sark was like, you know, I'm going to pick the teams. I'm going to try to make a competitive game. And then Quinn Ewers goes out there and you're like, okay, Quinn Ewers receivers are Mitchell Whittington worthy. Okay. His tight end is Sanders. Okay, his left tackle is Banks, his center is Majors, his right tackle is Christian Jones. This is the first team offense. The only thing they did was they played um, Hayden Connor with the other team, started Neto and uh, Williams as the guards, and then played Jaden Blue and Baxter as the running backs. I wonder if some of that was um, portal related. So that's a good entree into the running backs. So I I was impressed by Jaden Blue, not because of the attributes he showed that I already knew he had. He's got a good burst. He's quick. I think he might have been under orders or at least had a conversation with his running backs coach that uh, if you bounce something out unnecessarily, you can bounce on over to the bench. And in fact, we're going to start you And we want to see you run downhill with intent and run through the hole. And we don't want to see you juke or jive or, or try to, you know, you know, really quick guys who aren't very big, like to use that quickness. And Jaden blue ran downhill. did a good job. Uh, I thought actually moved up a notch in my estimation. And I was impressed by that. And I think that was by design. Now you might think, cynically that's a portal thing i think it's more like hey let's give Jaden blue a shot and see if that encourages him and and also like see what he's got not just a running back but line too i wonder like let's get all those young second year guys a chance um and try to keep them engaged yeah holding out brooks and keelan robinson is just a good idea in general, but also there might've been a tactical part as well. Right. But blue, you did see his um, sort of receiver nature come out when worthy threw up that duck and uh, it just hung in the air for forever. And eventually blue was like, no, I'm not gonna, (laughs) I'm not gonna risk it for this. Yeah. He made a little business decision there. Uh, Sark was very (laughs) diplomatic when interviewed about it on the field, but he'll get, he'll get some grief from it in the film room 
but beyond that, I'm I'm more. He also had some he had some goal line carries, which you probably noted. They had uh, the the early scoring drive by the white offense. Got down to the goal line and went for it. They just ran duo four times in a row. And uh, I don't know that it was Blue's fault, but he couldn't punch it in. They had to bring in. I think Baxter was the one that punched it in. Is that wrong? Yeah. That was probably the best moment of the day for Baxter. Yeah, you know, so he's a freshman. He didn't always have the optimal sort of run or the blocking in front of him. Uh, I think the best thing that he did was that he ate it when he needed to eat it and, and didn't try to, you know, pull high school stuff like he's on a Florida field and, you know, run back seven yards and try to reverse field. He didn't do any of that. And he's he's playing 15 to 20 pounds under his optimal college weight. He's got a, it's obvious. It's, yeah. it's not always so obvious to me as it, as it is with him. Yeah. What about Savion Red? Do we want to have him in, in, in there on third and 13 uh, pass protecting? Not if it's Anthony Hill, apparently. Um, he just kind of got run through on that one play. I, I think I'm sure we're thinking of the same play. Did yeah. you notice other plays where his pass protection was bad? Yeah. I noticed that one because they put it in my face and it was really easy to be like, hey, what happened? Oh, I, I see what happened here. Yeah, he didn't he didn't attack Anthony Hill at all. And he sort of went at him a little bit sideways. And then Hill's very quick and, and strong guy. Um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about the defense on the next podcast. Yeah, we'll get to Hill. Yeah, yeah, we're going to be running. We're going to be blitzing Hill a lot. Uh, preview newsflash. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so here's the thing about Jonathan Brooks. And I wrote this in my postmortem. He's the only running back that we currently have on the roster that you can put in for any play call and feel, and the coaches can feel confident. And what I mean by that is he can run everything he can catch and he can pass block. Do you disagree? What do you think about that? I I actually was, I'm glad you mentioned this. I've not really watched him in pass protection ever Brooks. I know that he's always seemed a little bit light to me. Like he came in at 60200 and he's been there the whole time since he got here. Uh here, Austin. Not here really. And, not your uh, house. Not my house. Okay. No. Yeah. Um so I, I'm yeah, I'm glad to get that insight from you because I, I if if that's true that he's the the best pass protector by far, then it seems like he's kind of a lock to be the future back this season. Unless Baxter really turns it on in the next uh, four months and steals the job in the season, I think that's possible. But right now, I would, if you were, if you were to make me bet on one running back to run for a thousand yards in a Texas uniform in their career, I would pick Brooks right now. I think because I think he'll be the guy next year. Well, and frankly, rushing for a thousand yards in a 15 game season is just not that difficult. You just got to average. It's just 70 we've made a game. It look, we've made it. Texas has not made it look that easy. Well, I'm just assuming we go to the big 12 title and play in two, two playoff games. Yeah. yeah. You do 70 well, a game. That's a thousand fifty, man. We're, we're good to go. Uh, yeah. So actually I don't, I'm not saying Brooks is like this elite pass blocker, 
I'm right. just saying he is a willing and capable pass blocker. And, a, I mean, and he's not. Well, let me, let me finish, Ian. Let me finish. Uh, I don't think a guy is just going to absolutely run through him the way, you know, he did with Red. And I don't think for Red it was a lack of strength or anything like that. I just think he literally doesn't know how to pass block and pass protect. Yeah. yeah. I, I would assume that you would think that Red and Baxter – could eventually be very good at that because they just have such stocky builds but I, to your point red he looked like a converted receiver on uh at least on that one play where hill where hill caught him yeah and, and baxter's not filled out yet right his lower body's pretty good but his upper body he's going to develop a lot i mean he's going to play i think he's going to play at 230 yeah did you notice i think he had one good run where he um, he did the Ricky Williams deal where he, uh, he made it look like he was going to go out and then he cut back inside on, uh, I don't remember who it came against, it's in my notes, but it was, it was really good. It was, uh, I was like, that's exactly what I anticipated from him as a Longhorn. I think he would be a really good outside zone runner. They didn't really use that in this game very much. Um, he did that on, on duo, I think. And, and the, they actually looked pretty good on that play in general when they just had their big kids just mow them down straight ahead. He and he looked and he looked pretty comfortable in it. So that's a, definitely a positive for his future. Yeah, I, th- I bet you'll break this down, but I didn't. I didn't see us run many runs, frankly, uh, or varieties of run. I mean, uh, but duo certainly featured. We ran a little counter action with uh, Sanders as the kick out. Uh, that's where blue had his 31 yard run. Uh, and we, we ran it successfully a couple of other times. And then I just saw some basic inside zone. Um, we, we, we're not showing much in the running game, which is great. Uh, we shouldn't, but it, it's a good bet with the size of that offensive line and the desire to keep things kind of simple for those guys and just let them play fast. They're going to run duo and just say fire out on the guy and make whatever way they want to go the wrong direction. That was their kind of their bread and butter last year, I think, because it's pretty simple. Yes. For freshmen. It's just, you know, it's all about it's power with no polar. You're just double teaming and driving people backwards and the running back makes you right. And as long as you get movement, it works. Um, and of course, they're just going to run back a lot of what they ran last year because they're not afraid to put it on film because it's already there from last year. But uh, they still look pretty comfortable there. So I, Maybe they uh, maybe it continues to be a mainstay um, for the offense this coming year, but yeah, Brooks looked comfortable in it. Red was definitely red was good. Red robbed Hill of a tackle for loss with the spin move on that one short yardage play. Um, did you notice? Um, I hate to I hate to backtrack on you, but did you notice that the second team left tackle was Kojo? Yeah, seventy seven. I did notice that, and uh, that was very interesting. Um, he doesn't. He's very unrefined, and he's he's pretty young too, isn't he? Um, is he, he might be the guy. Is he the guy that's like seventeen or yeah, sixteen I, or something wild? Yeah, I, I think he's pretty young. He's unrefined, but. Um, that was interesting to see. I'm, I'm, I think it was just kind of like, well, it was a lack of bodies, but also like let's throw them in the fire and kind of see what we've got. Uh, there was a play uh, backtracking as well. Peyton Kirkland 
was uh, setting up on the pass block at Anthony Hill. There wasn't really a, a seam. So Hill just threw his body into Peyton Kirkland and just destroyed him. <laughs> like a guy that outweighed him by 130 pounds. He just leveled him. Uh, it was wow. a little like welcome to college football moment for Mr. Kirkland, but it was interesting. I, it, was, it was fun to watch. I'll have to find that. It, do you remember? I remember we recorded these pods, you know, a year ago and the debate out of spring was who's going to play left tackle. And at one point it was like, maybe it's just, just be Hayden Connor. Yeah. He looks pretty solid at it. Maybe it's, maybe he's the best and just, and just roll with that. That was really a best case scenario that worked out for them with Kelvin Banks being as good as he was immediately. And now the depth is wildly different. Like I saw, I saw some of the second, some of the pass rushers struggling with um, Kirkland and Kojo at times. Yeah. Which, I mean, it was just maybe not a great sign for the pass rush. We'll cover but, that on the defense uh, pod, Ian. I've got but, some but thoughts they, on edge. Okay. Okay. Well, let's just, maybe we can move on. Uh, so, oh, let's, let's, let's go back. We did talk about arch and uh, look, I mean, the, to me, the, it, the, one of the more interesting things is that Malik Murphy played oh, well. Okay. He's been limited, uh, obviously with injury. He showed the arm. He showed the size. Uh, obviously, burning the six-string cornerback walk-on consecutively. One caught, one not caught. Uh, that that wasn't the thing that actually impressed me the most. I mean, those were both good, accurate balls, but it was more some of the mundane throws he made, and also just his size in the pocket. You didn't really see it, but it's pretty clear to me he's going to be difficult to get on the ground uh, when he's standing there strong in the pocket, and he gets you know, kind of a, a, a little chaff or a hand on him or something. I don't think he's just going to fall to the ground and faint. I think he's going to stand in there and throw a ball, throw the ball. Uh, I just liked what I saw from him. I thought they kept it simple for him, but I think that, you know, I think he's the second string quarterback. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I noticed there was a play where he scrambled out of the pocket on the goal line and, uh, they ruled it. They just whisk, blew the whistle because he was going to have to try to run someone over to get into the end zone. But he looked um, pretty willing to do it. And he kind of tapped the defender on the, on the helmet afterwards. Like, you know, you just dodged a bullet <laughs> because he had a good angle and he was cutting downhill. I kind of think he could be, I, you probably surely remember Donovan Smith doing some design quarterback runs and just kind of moving forward and grinding his legs and just kind of powering over Texas for a couple one or two yard conversions last year on fourth down. I think that Murphy could do that. If, uh, if Sark was willing to do that with him, it, he looks like he's up for it. He's obviously huge and powerful. Um, he's had like a little bit of a reputation for not necessarily being a dual threat or like super excited about running the ball. But I, I think he's maybe he's more confident now. He just looks like he looks like he was is willing to embrace being a big physical guy in a few regards. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. The fact that he was able to get those deep throws off and put them on the money was encouraging because I mean, last year we watched viewers have open guys and not make those throws, right? Um, but I was I was very impressed more so by seeing him 
get to like a check down on the opposite end of the field from where his eyes started at one point or like a he hit a couple throws where he didn't have time to get into the ideal footwork and setting his feet. And he was able to just arm it and made some pretty good throws. He's a really talented kid. I, I see what Sark sees now. And, right. and what's encouraging to me is how little he's practiced. I mean, he's not been healthy. Uh, and and on, on the point that you mentioned about the arming it, he was kind of, looking and rolling left slightly like drifting in the pocket. And then he saw the guy breaking open, running opposite of, of his momentum. And he just threw it with just arm, as you said, and, you know, had a nice completion that was accurate. You know, those things can be, you know, no, no, no. Yes. Throws. And, and he made it become a yes. But so Quinn Ewers, let's not bury the lead. Uh, here's my top line take. I thought he looked comfortable comfortable in more different ways in more different throws than last year, particularly using the middle of the field and just using the intermediate game in general, basic infrastructure plays of a basic college passing offense, mesh, uh, RPOs, little ins and slants. Those were struggles for him uh, last year, particularly like what? mid-season on and he just did that all effortlessly and correctly I think the upgrade at receiver has helped a little bit too but uh that was my impression of yours um I still go nuts sometimes when he throws the ball from his hip but you know as I, as I wrote in my post-mortem uh maybe it's because I'm I'm not capable of doing that and I don't understand how he can do that so accurately and so well but um you know that was my general impression what did you think yeah, I thought he uh, he just keeps it was it looked like he'd built on the on the bowl game. Um, I know in the bowl game he was way more comfortable. Um, some people thought you know he should have been in the spread all season. Well, they ran that in Oklahoma State, and we saw what happened there. Um, I think it's possible that he was able to um, acclimate a little more quickly in that style because of his high school career in South Lake Carroll in a spread. But he wasn't – it's not like they held back bowl game viewers, you know, during the season. Like, that guy didn't exist yet. And I think he's continuing to grow. I think that the fact that they are they are spreading the ball out more is helping him to get more comfortable more quickly. And having Whittington in the slot is a big boost for him. Um, I think that uh, adding Mitchell was enormous because it allowed him to make some of those, like, hitches and comebacks outside that he lived on at South Lake Carroll that I don't know if they were, he was very comfortable with last year because they didn't have guys that could, you know, get, yeah. Paul is avidly shaking his head. No, they just didn't have big guys that were reliable at, at getting open on those timing routes at the chains. They could just get pressed or bodied up. And, and now they have those guys back with uh, Mitchell on the fold and, and Nayor back and, and maybe Casey Kane. He looks like he's, yeah, more comfortable with a wider array of passing concepts. Um, his timing is a little better. Still needs to get a little quicker, but he made a lot of throws in pretty good rhythm. Sometimes I feel like his ball security isn't great. I thought he threw at least two throws in this game that could have been picked. But that wasn't really necessarily the case last year during the season. Um, 
I think under pressure, his ball security wasn't very good in the season last year. I guess they protected him from pressure a lot of times. But last year, he showed he showed that he was pretty good at – he would throw 20 incompletions before he would throw an interception, which was good. Um, so I don't know if that was kind of like gunslinging practice mode or if his ball security might be an issue if they were putting a lot more on him in the spread where he's having to make a lot more decisions more regularly. Boy, what do you think? I have an opinion on this, actually. You, you bring up something interesting. Last year, we threw turnover-averse routes oh. because we were scared of giving him carte blanche to throw over the middle of the field. How many of his balls were to the sideline? How many of his balls were these sort of routes where where the receiver catches it, they're down? Um, you, know, you saw a lot of that. And I think that... Uh, they're giving as they give him the whole field to throw to, he's going to put the ball at risk more, but it will be worth it because if his yards per attempt go up to eight and a half plus, you can trade a couple of extra interceptions. That 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 trade off is well worth it. And you know, I gotta say, Xavier Worthy, he looked healthy, he looked reinvigorated. And that guy on an RPO, when the linebacker clears and he runs an in route, it is not coverable by a college cornerback unless you're uh, freaking Devon Witherspoon from Illinois. And, and maybe even then. Uh, just He is very quick and very impressive. Terrence Brooks, we're not uh, we're covered on the defense, but he actually did some good things in this game, but he got isolated one-on-one -on -one when our linebacker bid on the RPO and worthy just <laughs> made him look kind of silly in the open field. And Brooks is a very good athlete. So uh, I think that's was that huge. The, was that the backside glance that they threw like on a zone? I think, I think it was, was like, a, yeah, I think that's the one we're thinking of, but um, worthy yeah. just sort of ran inside, then turned to face him and was like, what am I going to do? And Brooks is like, ah, overwhelmed. Like this guy's way quicker than me. Oh, wait, was that the one where uh, Allen finished it? I and, think so. Uh, and Worthy and Allen kind of like Allen was going for a kill shot and Worthy was like, here I am, go for it. Yeah. And they like had a kind of a little bit of a head on collision going out of bounds. I was yep. actually, yep. Yep. I remember that one. Yeah. Too. And then, so then on the, on the other side, so you got Worthy there. And he tracked the ball nicely on that deep fade, right? Yeah. Uh, you were through a good that. ball, but he had to track it. He tracked it, tracked it correctly. Uh, that's huge. That's a victory for Worthy. And then on the other side, you got A.D. Mitchell, who you mentioned. I was excited about A.D. Mitchell. Uh, I thought he, I thought this is who he is, and this is who he is. So our, our goal now, Ian, is to keep this guy healthy and to do some things in the offseason that will allow him to avoid – some of the soft tissue nagging injuries because he's a skinny guy, you know, and they've got to find a way to get him a little stronger and durable. Uh, but. And or get Nayor back. Yeah. I mean, Nayor's just a big unknown. I mean, he's just a complete unknown. And so I'm kind of going with the cards that we know about. And, okay. and if he's got extra upside and we run four dudes out there, I mean, get out of town. Um, so I love what A.D. Mitchell brings. And again, back to the intermediate game, Xavier Worthy is doing that with those RPOs and little glance routes. Whittington 
is doing mesh and slants and, and his thing yards after contact. AD Mitchell, it just stops. I'm, I'm six, three and a half, six, four, whatever. I've got really long arms. I'm pretty quick. And his, his, his body is, he's very flexible and that he can run and turn his trunk, turn his upper body while he's running full speed. And that is very difficult to do. And he can do that. And he's long. So if you're a corner, you're really scared of that guy mossing you downfield, right? So you're going to give up those stop routes, those little stop routes and those little curls. Uh, you know, Sark is an anti-curl offensive coordinator, offensive mind, but I think he'll see that that's a useful tool with, with Mitchell. And so I, I'm just excited about the layers of receiving options that yours is going to have to throw to. Yeah, I don't, he may not like it, but that's yours is bread and butter probably. And he can always, you know, mollify himself by running a double slants in the other end of the field with wit and worthy and get some of that Alabama hit four, four guys on the move kind of deal in the RPO game. Um, do you have a comp for Mitchell from Longhorn receivers of the past that have that similar? Cause I don't, I think, we're on the same page. Mitchell, probably not an elite burner, but he has this uh, coordination and body control that is potentially more valuable in some regards than just pure speed. Can you think of other guys that have a similar? I, I cannot. Perception? I cannot think of a Longhorn comp to him. Um, hmm. Obviously, people will look at the height, but you know, a Roy Williams was, is much more dynamic, faster, and much, much thicker, much bigger guy. Uh, so that's not really a useful comp. The useful comp that I would use, but he's a level up from, from A.D. Mitchell, was another Georgia guy, which is A.J. Green. A.J. Oh. Green didn't have, I mean, obviously he's a level up, like I said, but oh. A.J. Green didn't have spectacular dynamic athleticism but he was really long, super coordinated and had awesome body control and quick feet and corners could just never quite get what he was trying to do to them. And as a consequence, he just was a, a, a catch magnet at both at Georgia and for the Bengals before, you know, his, his career ran out. What about uh, little Jordan Humphrey? No, little Jordan Humphrey is very powerful. Uh, he's a big receiver. Little Jordan Humphrey. So people always equate skinny little Jordan Humphrey high school guy playing running back at South Lake Carroll. Uh -huh. That wasn't the little Jordan Humphrey that played at Texas. That guy weighed 220 and was beast moding people after the catch. Um, and yes, yes. But you he, know, so yeah. I, I just I'm I'm a comp snob, and I don't accept when people make comps like. You know, I just, I, I don't think we've had a guy like A.D. Mitchell at Texas. Maybe, maybe Sloan Thomas a little bit. I don't remember Sloan being quite as long. I'm going to try one more time. Okay. And then we can move, and we can move on. You're just going to say little Jordan Humphrey again? <laughs> I almost said his teammate, but they're obviously a little bit more different, uh, Colin Johnson. But uh, what about... Um, but Colin would Maybe. be closer. No, that's good. Colin would be a okay. little closer, right? Yeah, because Colin was 
I mean, he was great with the ball in the air. He was actually pretty good on underneath routes. Um, but they, a lot of times they would just have him run down the field because he was the only guy that was close to a downfield threat. Yeah, and he had the length. He had some of the deceptive stride. Um, A.D. Mitchell's a little more compact in his stride. Right. Uh, Colin, not a yak guy. <laughs> you know, not really uh, that dude. But, yeah, that's probably the best Texas comp to A.D. Mitchell. Um, yeah, I'm not going to do better. I'll stay with that one. Yeah, that's that's that was a good pull, man. That was a good that was a good pull. I was worried you were going to say Devin Duvernay, and I was going to yell at you. No, <laughs> I was going to go like uh, Nate Jones or uh, or uh, the guy that swoops through to every play. I can't remember in twenty uh, uh, Henry John Hurt or John uh, Ch- uh, God dang, what's uh, John Harris? Harris, that's what it yeah. was. So yeah. John Harris was thick. He was a big, strong guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what did you say before him? Nate Jones. Who was? That's not bad. Nate Jones was slow. <laughs> he was in the slot. He couldn't do what Mitchell does. No, the, he was. He was. He was slower, but man, he had awesome hands, and he ran really good routes. I, I like Nate Jones a lot. He he was the brightest spot in a in a dark two thousand seven receiving core for Colt McCoy. Uh, but um, so let me think what, who have we not covered on the, Oh, Jatavian Sanders. He got goose egged. They tried to involve him early. Actually, it was pretty clear. They were going to try to run the offense through him on the first drive, at least to JT Sanders. Uh, didn't really happen. Is, is, is he just done now? We're not going to run any, we're not going to throw to him anymore. Now that we've got these receivers. You know, Jerry, the day before the game, he was like, you know, I don't think Jatavian Sanders really needs to play in this game because we know that he's great. They know what they have in him. And what's behind him is alarming. So you do not want him to get hurt. So I wonder, but I think they, I think they played him for much of the game. So it's not like they just uh, threw to him a couple times and said, oh, well, it's not going to happen, and then put him in bubble wrap. But I did, that could have been part of the uh, reason for his lack of involvement was just let's not force it. Like this, <laughs> this guy is special. We don't need to be, we don't need to be incurring some dumb injury on this guy and then having to play Gunner Helm all year. Well, and also the ways we would use him in the regular season are some of the things we'd want to disguise. Uh, Meaning, like what? What do you think? Well, I, what I mean is those receivers, very quickly, defensive coordinators are going to realize they've got a problem, and th- it's going to clear out a lot of space for Sanders underneath. And I think there's going to be some interesting waggles. Like last year, we ran those. Okay. Some of those interesting little, little uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't plays with Sanders. I think we've got some stuff like that in the playbook for this year. So why show it in the spring game? Save it for Bama. They uh, they had quite the um, wrinkle last year when they busted out the uh, the Ezekiel's wheel play where he's uh, I, mean, I mean they did a lot of things with that play, but they got him a lot of receptions and, and yards on that play. It's like this multi layered RPO um, for our listeners that have no idea what I'm talking about. Out on the sideline. They had a, they would run this RPO where it would be like a zone read 
but in, if the, the the normal zone read is the quarterback watches the end. If he dives after the back, he keeps it. If he stays to st- to guard the quarterback, then he hands off. Vince Young ran it a million times. Um, but the way they ran it last year was that the quarterback, instead of running with the ball, he would have one guy in the flat running a wheel route and then another guy in the flat just running a flat route. And they would change up who was doing what. And then he would just he would finish that read and then go to the next read and, and see if they covered the wheel or the flat and then throw whichever one was open. And um, if you just watch the Red River shootout, they ran that play like 12, 14 times in Oklahoma was completely helpless. They had no idea what to do, even though they yeah. had put it on film, like every game before that. Yep. Um, and just Sanders really, he really ate well on that. Yeah. Uh, hey, I want to mention, and this might be just a random thing. And I think it might've just been a, a function of the rosters and the depth and the structure of the draft, but Patrick Bayout, the walk-on uh-huh. number 48, uh-huh. Yeah, you'll see him prominently in several of our two tight end sets and a, and a heavy set near the goal line. Uh, he was a converted defensive lineman walk on like 6'4, 275, 280. And yeah. I just it just caught my eye that he was out there. Like, for example, on that worthy fade, deep fade that Ewers throws, you'll see him as the guy blocking the backside defensive end and giving Ewers mm. the time to throw. I'm just mentioning it as something to monitor you know maybe it's just a function of the rosters and depth and that they had to put him out there uh but interesting i thought it was you know it kind of caught my eye so i thought i'd share it and then um he was did you think you thought he was good then you thought like he was okay i can play he was okay okay yeah he was okay he didn't like you didn't rewind it three times and go oh my god what's happening here but okay uh and then shout out to kai woods man that guy yeah He's legitimate quick, not going to be our goal line back in. Uh, he goes down at contact because he's about 170. But, dude, that guy's got legitimate juice and burst. Uh, that's pretty cool to have that as a walk-on. Who, who is that guy? I, I had no idea who he was. And they're like, oh, Kai Woods. And I was like, good job by that person. So I actually referenced this guy in a post a while back. I was doing my little Sark Bites insidery stuff. And yeah. They had mentioned that our walk-on running backs are good. They mentioned specifically Kai Woods and Colin Page. Uh, he was the white kid they put in late from Austin Anderson, powerhouse. Uh, but they were mentioning that these guys were cuts above the typical walk-on and actually make the defense work and like focus in because like Kai Woods will embarrass you if you don't come and take a good angle, right? Um, and I thought that was interesting. And then uh, he actually, he came from Houston. He was a, a, like a very good Houston area running back. And I think mm-hmm. he could have gone and played at plenty of other schools and kind of been the dude, right, at, at lower levels of football. But he wanted to walk on at Texas. And uh, he's still young. I think he's a sophomore. So uh, oh. Colin Page is young too. So yeah, I mean, a, just sort of a random shout out, but the walk-ons do help you get better. And you could see, how covering Kai Woods out of the out of out in the flat or Kai Woods, you know, if he busts through the line, that's not an easy dude to go tackle. So, yeah, he had caught a he caught a wheel route, went for uh, thirty five yards. Yeah, was it Malik? Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a good throw. Yeah, that was another one of that was another one of his of his nice plays. 
Yeah, I, so his most impressive throws to me were not the ones that are going to be on the Twitter YouTube highlights. Uh, I just right. liked his ability to make the mundane throws. And, dude, I, I, I really like a big, strong quarterback in the pocket in the Sark offense, which Sark does too. There's a reason Carson Palmer and Matt Sanchez and all these guys played at USC. Uh, Matt Leinart even. Uh, big, strong guys that just don't go down at first contact. That that really helps you in a play action deep shot offense. I got a comp for you from Malik Murphy. Oh, let's you're, hear it. He has to be he has to be white if you're super if you're super progressive, he better be a white guy. Well, I feel like you've uh, defanged my <laughs> I was gonna say uh, Big Ben. Oh, nice. Yeah. I mean, you know, Hall of Fame quarterback, right? We're not we're not there yet. This is like I'm my trying... AJ Green comp. Yeah. Yes. There, there's a, there's a contingent of Longhorn fans that, that is all in on Malik Murphy for whatever reason. And then another contingent that is strangely against him. Um, I don't know. I mean, there's a, the elephant. We know, we all know what the elephant in the room is on either well, side. I, I stopped paying attention to any of those dynamics because I just watched the games and the film and then judge the player he's a, like he's a really interesting he's a really interesting player i hope i hope that uh he gets a chance as a starter either at texas or somewhere else because i think he might be really good i i think that's true and i i i i hope it's a texas he could be one of those one-year wonders that becomes a legend right that I, leads you to a national title the team like mac jones mac jones alabama jacob coker people forget about that guy right uh, yeah, they had a, forgot they had a about that guy. No, uh, no, Blake, Blake Sims too. The year before, maybe not a legend, but he was, but he was pretty good. You win a national title for me at Texas. I'm gonna call you. Uh, I'm gonna call you the dude. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I remarked to someone um, before the spring game. Actually, I was like Malik Murphy. If he really gets coached up and he improves, because I saw him at field level at the Alamo Bowl, and uh, it left an impression on me. Ian, he is. He's a large human. And I remember saying to people, I was like, whatever his roster lists him at is a complete lie. Uh, but I was like, I remember remarking so, to some, I just remember marking to someone if he gets progressed as a passer and, and reading and all that stuff. I was like, this guy's going to be a dude we'll love at Texas, or he's going to be uh, like a beloved at Fresno State as the dude <laughs> who leads them to a 10 win season and a, and a bowl game, right? Uh, I will say the one thing about the be Big Ben comp, and people don't realize this. You got to go back and watch his film in the Mac. Big Ben was fast for his size and athletic. Back when he was sub 280, <laughs> you know, when Big Ben was just 240, he could actually run. I think he, I think, I don't want to quote it, the NFL draft, like I think his comp, if he ran in the combine, I think it's like a better time than you would think, like really much better than you'd think. So I don't know if Malik has that level of athleticism, but I think what you are going for is the big dude standing in the pocket, just shrugging people off and then winging yeah. it downfield. Yeah. I love that. I, uh, oh my gosh. I just looked up Ben Roethlisberger's combine. Cause Bring I, it. I was going to, I was going to laugh at you if it was wrong. He ran a four, seven, five 40, which is, I mean, I don't think he could break five. No, this time to Pittsburgh. I am, I am, I am, I'm, I'm truly shocked. That's faster than, uh, um, 
Trayvon Boykin ran. That's faster than Ellinger. Faster than Colt. Colt. Um, yeah. So his, his lateral quickness was, pro- was probably never quite where like Colt's was. No. And um, yeah, but that's, that's, that's pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah. The big Ben was a very good athlete. Uh, and then he, that's like what Humphrey ran. Yeah. 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 Big Ben is a good athlete. And then he put on about, you know, 40 pounds like you do when you're an NFL quarterback and you're, you could barely fit your head in your helmet, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> what are you implying? <laughs> I, uh, I'm not implying anything, but, uh, yeah, I, I think, uh, so look, what's your overall impression of the offense? Are we going to be, you know, monsters of the midway destroying people out there? Or do you just see the design for uh, the design and, and capacity for a, a very good offense? My major takeaway was that this receiving core is loaded. Now I think we kind of knew that going in, but it's just different to see it in action on the field. And if they can just get, you know, smart play at quarterback um, in a spread concept, I think that they are going to chew teams up. I really, think, I really think, I think they're going to obliterate a lot of teams in the big 12. When they say, Steve uh, least, Sark- Oh, sorry, buddy. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, when they say Steve Sarkeesian grooms quarterbacks, I didn't <laughs> think they meant that literally. Oh, geez. Was that worth interrupting you for? I don't know. That, that's a um, no for Ian. Ian's too nice. <laughs> they are, they are uh, just having Mitchell. I, I think Nayor could do the same thing. Obviously, you're right. We don't really know exactly what he'll be like in the fall. But um, – just having that big bodied guy outside that Ewers has is, is a little bit of a comfort blanket and to uh, just punish one-on-one matchups and force teams to widen out. Yes. That is just a nightmare because wit, we haven't really talked about Whittington. He is, I think, capable of a lot more than people think if he gets the opportunities. I don't know if his NFL career, I don't know if he's going to have like some big, amazing NFL career, but I do know that he's the kind of guy that can destroy college teams from the slot. If he's in a featured role that gives him those opportunities. And he's happens to be paired with uh, an NFL tight end. And I, I feel better about the run game, even though the numbers in the spring game were pretty weak. Um, they didn't really run over the defense in the spring game, but I just, consistently saw some movement when they wanted to power teams over. And I feel pretty confident that they're actually going to be pretty good in the run game, especially when paired with all these weapons, it just, it looked so much more like, you know, what we've expected to see at Texas for a long time, which is the flooding of field with people that you don't have great answers for so that you have to just kind of pick poison. I want to also mention something that may lead to a small semi-tangent. You got time for it? Great. All right. Of course. I really liked what I saw from John Tate Cook. <laughs> yeah. Uh, beyond the long touchdown catch, I actually, that was, that was fine. I was glad to that see was, it. It was kind of impressive because the guy already gave him like a big cushion at the jump and he still just ran right by him. Yeah, he did. He wait, also waited on the ball a little bit appropriately. He ran the route correctly. He broke it out the, the right direction to create the separation. So he could actually wait on the ball for a half beat. Uh, but 
he's a good route runner for a young guy. And I think he's got some awareness and he's also somehow in my head, I had it built up that he was a little dude. I don't, I mean, I'm not saying he's a, a big receiver, but he's not tiny out there. He's not, he's not a, a mouse running around. He has a uh, really sh- like an NBA player's wingspan. Yeah. He's long. Somebody, somebody mentioned it in a, in a post like Bobby or Jerry or Eric. I can't remember who, sorry guys. And um, it was, well, he's like what? Six feet tall, five eleven. Yeah. He's six feet. And his wingspan was like 78 like, inches or something. Six five or six seven or something wild. Yeah. Something like lockdown all def- all NBA defense kind of. Uh, so yeah, he's he's a specimen. Yeah, I I thought he was impressive. And then DeAndre Moore, very rough start for that poor guy. He dropped a couple of balls, dropped a touchdown. He got licked by Ryan Watts. But you know what? You watch the 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 fading embers of the game and and. He actually rallied. He didn't throw a little pity party for himself and he caught six balls. So uh, that, you know, that was encouraging. Uh, obviously he didn't start great, but he, he finished strong. He showed some resilience. And one thing that's, this is the tangent part. Okay. One thing that I love Sark for, and I agree with him wholeheartedly is if you have your druthers in roster construction, always have a light wide receiver room. I mean numbers. I don't mean body weight. Why? Tom Herman used to have free 14 of those freaking guys on campus. They're not getting any reps. They're wide receivers, so which means they're pissed they're not getting reps. You know, the worst wide receiver on your offense believes that he, in his heart, is a playmaker. And if only the offense was routed through him, you'd win every game. And your, your freshman offensive lineman who's redshirting doesn't think that way, right? It's just a difference in disposition. So Sark's belief was always have a smaller wide receiver room because you want all of them to be good. You want to play a bunch of them and you want to have them all constantly repping and improving and getting better and actually getting meaningful participation and reps. And it just gives you a better ability to execute in your passing game. You know, they, they just have, they're more involved. They're more engaged. They're getting real reps. They're getting game reps. They're getting practice reps. And you don't get this attitudinal drag of your top, your bottom four wide receivers are walking around pissed off and, and complaining all the time. So anyway, that's my tangent. Any thoughts on that? Probably not the biggest thing in the world, but a thought nonetheless. Well, can I, can I give a fairly brief counter tangent? Yeah. I wrote an article for SB Nation once. I was tasked with writing this article for, that was like, uh, what's the ideal roster construction for like numbers? Oh, cool. And, uh, oh, okay. I, I didn't think it was that exciting, but I, I just thought it through and wrote it up. And then they had some people look over it and edit it. And they're like, you have way too few wide receivers. <laughs> we have coaches that are like, this is laughable. You could never get away with having that few wide receivers. You wouldn't be able to get reps. And I was like, well, are they just going to their wide receivers? Are they going to be? I was like, just making the case you did. I was like, wouldn't they be pissed off if, like, you have like, st- what's the use of stacking talent there? They're not going to get the ball. They're just going to be mad. Why can't you use walk ons? If you need reps, use walk ons. And they're like, no, no, this is laughable. This would never work. And I was like, well, probably somebody knows something I don't. Well, what did you, what did let- you say? Do you remember? Did you say like four wide receivers or did you say no? 10? I was, I was like, I was like, uh, 
six to eight or something. So I'd, I'd say eight. Six is pushing it. I don't, I don't remember what I said. Yeah, yeah. But they, they bumped it up to whatever, to like Tom Herman type. Twelve. <laughs> and I was like, what? Why? Like every, every team that I study and know, they have like really five guys at a given time that they really want to be involved. And then everyone else is either taking up a spot or, I mean, well, they're just mostly just taking up a spot or they're like break, break glass in case of emergency guys. So the transfer portal has cleared up some of the old ways of thinking about roster construction. It has. And, and it's pretty clear that if Steve Sarkeesian's going to err in overloading one position, it's going to be offensive line. Yeah. Or defensive line or yeah. edge apparently. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, at least until you get the guys you want and then it kind of shakes out to a more natural number, but one of my many uh, grievances with Tom Herman is looking at our scanning our, our roster and seeing 14 wide receivers. And you're just like, and none of them were good. <laughs> like every year that they got further away from Charlie strong, they got worse at wide receiver. By the time Sam Ellinger was a senior, there was nothing. Was Duvernay was, a strong guy or was he, he was a Charlie strong guy, right? He was a Charlie Strong guy. Oh, everyone and, that was good as a receiver at Texas for Tom Herman was left for him by Charlie Strong. That's really interesting. It just I, I really enjoyed Sam Ellinger, as everyone can probably tell. Really enjoyed his career, and it just kills me. Just kills me that every year at Texas, his receiver situation got worse. Yeah. And they just wasted his career. And I'll yeah, never I think Herman for that. I like Sark's vision for the, the room. I like the types of receivers he's going after. I think they make, I think they do good evals. Like when I watch the tape and I understand what they're trying to do with guys as different as Ryan Niblett is from Jonte cook. Right. I understand what they're trying to do with each guy, what role they serve, what function, what the upside is, what the floor is. I just get it. And there were guys, you know, certainly late Mac Brown as well, where you just put on the tape and you'd be like, why? <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, you, you coach in the state of Texas every year, there's 25 good wide receivers. It's just a question of your vision and development, right? To, yeah. to include AD Mitchell, right? A Texas wide receiver who was undervalued till his senior year. And then he gets recruited by the big boys. It's really amazing. It's really amazing how, not spectacular receiver Texas has been for the last 12 years. But I, I feel like maybe, maybe the, the headline of today was that they finally fixed that problem. They are Texas is not going to be bad next year because of a lack of talented options at receiver. Yeah. If you're deficient at wide receiver as a state of Texas university, you just have issues like Houston has no problem finding pass catchers, right? Much less SMU, yeah. much less TCU, much less, you know, Texas tech. I mean, Texas tech just, has some dudes, man. Yeah. They always do. Yeah. They always do. <laughs> yeah. I've never not seen them be good at receiver. Yeah. Never. Well, because the gap, I mean, this is one thing that irritates me, but the gap, that people imagine at wide receiver between a four-star and a three-star in the state of Texas. 
it's literally that the four star is an inch taller and 10 pounds heavier. And he, and his 40 was a, a four, five, one, and not a four, five, four. And it's like, you, I'm, I'm going to let you save this for a future podcast. All right, let's do so it. You, you know, that article that you wrote about um, Dante Scarnecchia's um, different axioms about offensive line play. And he was looking, he, one of them was that he looks for guys that are good enough at a trait and yes. then he moves on. It's like, if he's tall enough, I don't care if he's eight feet tall. Right. If I want six, four and he's six, four, great. I don't care if he's six, six is not better than six, five is not better than six, four, six, four is good. Move on. I'd be curious to hear if you think you could get at what those might be at wide receiver. Because I think that you're right that Texas has been victimized by um, overlooking guys because like, well, sure, we could get this 6'2 guy or we could get this six foot four Brennan Eagles kid. And if we don't have Brennan Eagles, then we're not Texas. Well, and it, it's a, another, it ties into another pet peeve of mine, which is people do the, this CD lamb guy, he weighs 160 pounds as a high school senior. <laughs> He's six, two, he's skinny. This other guy's a more finished product. And it's like, if you can't get a 17 year old to eat food and lift weights, dissolve your football program morons, like evaluate his traits and assume that you can make him gain 20 pounds. It's not real hard. What do you say, Ian? I could get you to gain 20 pounds. <laughs> I, you know, for most of my life, that's been hard. Actually, I'm a hard gainer or well, relatively. And uh, I got on a scale during Christmas this year. And uh, that attribute of mine seems to be. Um, it's fading. It's fading a little bit. My metabolism is slowing down at last. And uh, I've got some, I've got some lifestyle decisions to make. In the next <laughs> 10 years. Welcome to middle age, Ian. Yeah, I'm getting there. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. Yeah, my days of uh, eating five or 6,000 calories in a day and exercising it off, uh, they, they came to an end a while back. So, yeah, I, I, I got to eat more lean cuisines, Ian, and drink crystal light. It hasn't come to that here just yet. <laughs> Thank God. All right. It's Are you up for talking about defense? For sure. All right. Well, we're we going to do that. I'm going to stop this recording. Okay. I'm going to end here. I'm going to thank Mr. Boyd for his time. And then I'm going to jump back on and we're going to talk about the Texas defense and what we saw in the spring game. Are you worried that recent events have derailed your retirement plans? It certainly made us reassess all aspects of ours. And that's why we're proud to offer our listeners a chance to work with David McClellan, a fiduciary financial advisor from Forum Financial. David's practice specializes in financial life coaching and retirement planning. And right now, he's offering free consultations for our listeners if you mention the podcast. As part of this consultation, David can help you understand your financial freedom number and what that means to you in assessing your future financial plans. If you want to build wealth, if you want to make optimal decisions within your financial life, David is someone you need to talk to. You can reach him at 312-933-8823. Once again, 
That's David McClellan at 312-933-8823. He's located in Austin, Texas, but he's got a nationwide clientele. Do yourself a favor and get some great financial advice for free and see if you might want to work with Mr. McClellan. I think you'll be happy with your phone call.